Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This week, I have some exciting, awesome news. Uh, well, other than the great guests that I have this week, uh, we have a Christmas record that comes out very soon that we're very excited about called Christmas in Tahoe. The exciting news is that Tahoe, after, I don't know, the last couple of years of not getting snow, kind of got hit pretty good the other day. So congratulations to Tahoe and to all of San Francisco who goes to Tahoe to slide on their hills during the wintertime. Uh, hope everybody had a safe, incredible Halloween. I was uh, I was dressed up with my family. They were We were kind of Day of the Dead, which is, uh, we're huge fans of the movie Book of Life. And then my son, he just wanted to be the good dinosaur. So it was uh, Day of the Dead family and the good dinosaur, which made a lot of sense to me. Uh, my son kind of knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? So, um, this week, uh, since we do have a Christmas record coming up, I wanted you to meet the producer of the album and who's, who's done a, a lot of incredible work uh, in his life. He's a Seattle resident. Uh, his name is John Goodmanson, and he's a real, uh, he's a really great talent, but he's a lovely guy. I like him very much. And then when he came over to the studio to do the podcast with, uh, with Jerry and myself, he brought a friend of his, and his name is Sean Nelson. Sean Nelson was the singer, or is the singer, and main writer, I think main writer, of uh, Harvey Danger. His lyrics are incredible. Uh, you'll recognize the song that we, uh, that we perform at the end. But um, anyway, I'm excited about this one. This is a really fun podcast for, for me because John's a great guy. He introduced me to Sean, who you'll find out uh, shortly is one of the smartest people around. So check it out. This is John Goodmanson and Harvey Danger's Sean Nelson right here on the podcast. Hide behind each other's Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I, uh, I'm here with with two guys, actually. I, I asked uh, uh, a local producer uh, engineer who worked on our Christmas record to join us. His name is John Goodmanson, yes. or as I like to call him, John Goodmanson. <laughs> uh, you brought with, uh, with you a friend from uh, Harvey Danger, uh, the lead singer. You play keyboards too, right? Yeah, when, but not really. When, you when play you him like to. a singer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and your name time. is Sean Nelson. That's right. Sean, the Irish spelling of Sean. I. Any <laughs> any Irish in your? Yeah. Yeah. I actually not that long ago was given a printout of the um, bill of lading the, for the ship that my great wow, great that's grandfather really cool, came actually. over from County Cork on. Wow, really, County, yeah. County Cork. My yeah. family was from Galway. Not that. Spagora. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not and fight. So, John, did you did you bring Sean because you uh, you're a huge bore, or yes, you actually, totally. uh, is he like your spokesman slash well, lawyer? Um, you just didn't want to make any mistakes. You're like Yoko Ono. Like when I met Yoko <laughs> Ono, so she travels ways. with two attorneys, <laughs> right? Which is bizarre, and you travel with Sean, right? No attorney. <laughs> I just when I when you said everybody does a song and I thought what oh, song yeah. would people know oh, and then cool. I was like well I should call Sean oh great I'm know, surprised that you said yes to doing this. <laughs> I don't know how to play them but I uh, I say yes to lots of stuff no one ever asks really yeah yeah I, I love I love podcasts oh cool it's the podcast revolution but you're a writer too right yeah 
And yeah, big time. What, big what time what's writer. the you write for several magazines? Oh, sorry about that. I thought I turned this off. Are you um, are you an independent writer and you I mean, I like to think I have a certain independence about me, but no, I work for a paper in Seattle called The Stranger. The Stranger. Yeah. Oh, cool. And I've written for a handful of other magazines. That's as a well, legit place to work, isn't it's it? It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I sort of, for the last, I don't know, 15, 16 years, I have managed to kind of do that delicate thing of like, I'll get by with doing music stuff when it was Harvey Danger, or then I was in that band The Long Winters for a while, and then toured with a handful of other people um and then i also make and work on films and so i sort of put my living together doing those things and then when that dries up i get a journalism job and then so i but that's but you still do harvey danger too uh we, no we haven't done harvey danger for a while um how long is a while 2009 was our last Why? show how come um because God, this is the question I wanted to ask. Yeah, what the... <laughs> well, I mean, we broke up first in 2001 for the sort of normal sort reasons. Of juvenile reasons of like oh, not really? liking each other and feeling screwed. You um, feeling screwed by like the public or record companies? No, no, just by, just by our... Well, I mean, we were a little screwed by a record not by yeah, not you guys by, were screwed hard. Not actually. by the, not by by the, the company itself, by the whole business. Like our... our Success happened like one second before the mergers all started happening. Oh wow, really? And so we made our right, we had our big hit sense. record, which John of course produced, um, and uh, it was, you know, it was like kind of out of nowhere, and things were going good, and then, and then it was like, all right, time to make another record, and then we in fact made another record, and then they're like, great. Sit tight, and for the next 15 to 30 months, we're going to try and figure out who owns your contract. And, right. Uh, and they we, make it and so I, that it's just too miserable to even want to deal with it anymore. Yeah, and not to mention, there was just nothing, like, nobody knew what was going on or who was going to even have jobs in six months. And then, of course, that was the beginning of the industry kind of tumbling into the sea. How did that affect I you and on. your work, John? Because, you know, you, you, here's just for people who aren't aware of, l let me familiarize people with both of you guys, just because we're, we're jumping into very interesting shit, but maybe everybody doesn't know. So, John, you're a, a Seattle producer yeah. and engineer, but mostly you, and you mix too. And mix, yeah. Uh, but you come from... Uh, California. What part of California were, were you born in? Uh, wow, I, I grew up until I was like 10 in um, Alhambra, California. And then what did you move to Seattle for? Yeah, there was a big migration back then. Like Washington State was a lot cheaper. So oh, really? Tons so of your, people your came parents from moved here for like work and just because yeah, they could Yeah, I mean, they were both school teachers. Quality they life. were? Oh, uh, cool. But my stepdad had summered up here. He had an aunt. Oh, cool. Was up here. So it was actually across the water. It wasn't Seattle, it was Paulsbo. Washington. And so some of the uh, some of the work you've done is with like Death Cab, a lot of Seattle stuff. Yeah, like uh, with Harvey Danger and and but you've worked with Blondie. Yeah, Brandy yeah, Carlisle, Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> really, <laughs> a Wu, -Tang. Wu Tang? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it was. What'd you do wild. with them? Mixed an album. I did oh, a lot of work. Um, yeah, the trim coordinator. <laughs> God bless if I could be that guy. The what coordinator? The, the trim coordinator. Oh, that's amazing. Do they have a trim oh, coordinator? They got, they got one of everything, those guys. Wow, that's amazing. But it, it was, uh, I did a lot of work on the East Coast with a guy named um, Steve Thompson, and we were like an engineer producer and then like a co-mixing team. Um, so he, in the early 2000s, did that corn record that went bananas, oh, yeah. so we did a lot of Really regrettable. That record didn't <laughs> exist. That. You also worked with uh, Not a Surf, Hot Love Hot Heat, The Posies, 
simple plan and this uh, is like way and back. What about I got Hanson. <laughs> Hanson. I just did two EPs for Hanson that I mixed. They they kind of are on recording themselves these days. Yeah, they they do their own thing. Yeah, and they make their own beer. Have you ever heard it? It's <laughs> no. called. Uh, Mm-hmm. It's not really called yes, that, it is. is it? It's really, really called that. Mm-hmm. They have a really good sense of humor about themselves. Yeah, they're real funny. Yeah. And then, so you came, you came with Sean because you've worked with Har- Harvey Danger. And how many records did you make with these guys? We made three. You made um, all three together with yeah. John. So what made you go back, to John, every time? Um, because the first one was so successful. Because the first one. Was the first, I mean, we were a band for, I would say, I think three to four years before we made that first record. And we didn't, we didn't have kind of conventional ambitions. We were really into being just like a Seattle band. And we lived Hmm. in a house together in the U District, little like the monkeys or something. Um, But uh, when I met John in the course of doing, you know, I was actually interviewing a band that was recording at his old studio. And Hmm. I just was, we were a huge, we were all. So you were always writing for. I started working at The Stranger uh, in 1995 or six. So when even I was during the success old. of Harvey Danger, you were still writing for well, them, or you took a hiatus I took and some then came time back? off and oh, came back. Cool. I've had, I think, three or four different tours of duty there. Um, <laughs> but I was like, we were huge fans of the work John did. Like, what, what were you hearing him do? That the, you were the like, records right at that time that we were listening to a lot were um, Thirty Out Six and um, the 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 first Slater Kinney record he did, which was the second Slater Kinney record, which was called The Doctor. Um, it was like that's just like mind that's a staple blowing band records. for you, right, John? Yeah. Not to mention like, Reject All American by Bikini Kill. Like I could, I could really do a whole podcast really? on just the records of John's that do I do. You do a great. podcast? See, this no. is why I brought. See, so you should. I get. I guessed on. I mean, I've done. I've, the Stranger has a podcast that I've hosted a couple of times, but you'd be great at it. I do a show on better than me. You could take over this one because uh, <laughs> it's too much work. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> all right, how I can, many I'll days a week are you on the radio at this point? Not many. I don't. I haven't done that for a little while, but okay. I do a show on KEXP um, from time to time as well. That's great. Um, you know, uh, speaking of KEXP, I just had uh, uh, Rocky Volato uh, in yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> man, what a he's great. What sweetheart. a sweetheart. Yeah. I mean, holy man. Yeah. So I have a I have a quote that I read on Wikipedia that is a pretty, I mean, just reading this quote makes me think you're a great writer. So you said... It was the best of times. Is, it was the worst of this times. Is, yeah, they, so this is from <laughs> Sean. Uh, so in preparation for the upcoming re-release, uh, singer Nelson wrote a foreword looking back at the album and its unexpected success. This is 10 years after mm-hmm. your success. You say... Under the long shadow of 17 years' worth of memory, I must say that listening back to the 10 songs that changed everything for us is a bracing sensation. I hear the person you were when you weren't yet who you are now is to understand—oh, to hear, sorry. To hear the person you were when you weren't yet who you are now is to understand how little you understood and to recognize how little— you even could have understood. So so far, <laughs> I'm like I'm you're you're messing with my brain. I should just with- confess that was just a uh, one of those uh, apps that generate passwords. Write <laughs> that. Uh, but it's like such a well written. This is this is doubly bracing when you consider first the person you were then had everything riding on the depth of his understanding. It's tempting to be hard on your past self. The one who made all those idyllic mistakes or idyllic, 
Or uh, how do you say this word? I don't oh, know. oh no, you say sorry. Who made all these uh, idiotic, idiotic mistakes? <laughs> oh, I can uh, yeah, say that. This is this is where I love what you said. Who scorched so many friendships? Who insisted he knew exactly what uh, we? You said this is what it says. What we was doing while <laughs> while steering the car after a uh, car after car into ditch after ditch, well, and yet uh, temptations aside, it feels a lot better and in a much bigger way to hoist the hindsight's binoculars to your deteriorating eyes and spy something you love. The full, I mean, that's awesome. like... It's better yeah, if you read writing. it without taking any breaths. <laughs> Man, it's hard it's, to do. Well, actually, it'd be better uh, read by someone who actually was literate. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's pretty Dude, good writing. I mean, so, you also thanks. wrote like the 33 and a third book for... The Joni Mitchell record. I did. Oh wow! You, heavy cat, you write dude. liner notes and and do I a have, lot of things like I, that for artists. That no, I never. Well, I did it for the Death Cab for Cutie, the tenth anniversary reissue of their first record because cool. that was a big like we were their first show in Seattle was opening for Harvey Danger. Like I, we go back a long way. Um, yeah, and uh, but the thing you just read was the was liner notes for the vinyl reissue of the first Harvey Danger record sure. that came out on the same label that put out Rocky's record actually. How um, did uh, how record. how was your band how were your bands how were your bandmates about like you being a writer, you writing things like that, getting attention for those types of things? Did they give a shit about it at all? Well, I mean, you I'm sure you're aware as the singer. Singer gets all the attention anyway. Um, and people in the band just have to suck it up, you know, in a way. They happen to not be people who are big attention, like, spotlight cravers. They didn't care. They didn't care that much, but but they did, like, I have a, less so now, but I had kind of a big, fairly annoying personality when I was 22, 23 years old, but I think it was like... I can tell. It was, <laughs> it was super annoying, but it was good, like, that was good for the band in a lot of ways. It was just who I was, and I think that they they benefited from it. And were annoyed by it in equal measure, and they just kind of got to. They came to terms with it. So, what do those guys do? You, you write. I don't know. I would never talk to any of them again. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> well, let's see. Okay, we were just Are talking they, about. Is Aaron. anybody still musical? Yeah, um, uh, Evan or pursuing the, uh, the dream. Evan, the drummer. I mean, different dream. You know, like mm. there's no the old rock and roll dream doesn't really work anymore. Mm. Um, the Evan, the drummer of Harvey Danger originally, was he lives in St. Louis now. He's married, and um, he and his wife have a band that's just the two of them that's called Sleepy Kitty. Uh, and he lives in St. Louis? Yeah. Oh, interesting. In this mat, like 8,000 8, square foot loft. It's amazing. <laughs> really? And it costs like $500 a month or something. See, that's yeah. the thing. We're all moving to St. Louis. Yeah. Um, John. Sir. You know, this is where we're doing this podcast in uh, in Sunken Forest Studios, and uh, we did all my vocals here for the Christmas record. So I guess my question to you is, is Sunken Forest Studio the new Abbey Road? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. Shabby Road. <laughs> yeah, isn't there a Shabby there Road record? There is a Shabby record? Road. Yeah. There's um, a studio called that. So well, I call this... Uh, the crack shack. The crack shack of the The windows we black out, right? Right. And, and originally the windows were, and it's so stupid because there's a door right next to it that's not blacked out. And the idea of the blackout was sound. Mm. But the window 
being right there is just sure. kind of ironic. Have you ever gotten complaints? Well, right here behind me where the uh, other window is not blacked out, okay. uh, a guy came over at about two in the morning once and he was like, Pat, really? <laughs> well, at least he knows you. And that's I, I was better like, than. Uh, well, I noticed there's a drum kit right here. Is that what you Yeah, that wasn't what it was. It was the speakers being facing. Anyway, but, uh, you know, the whole blackout idea was sound wise, but then. As you cruise around the neighborhood, this is the only scary house because of the blackout. <laughs> right. This right. is the only house that will never be broken into. Yeah. So it, it, all, it looks like all, South Central. All the neighbors are starting to think into. maybe this isn't a bad idea. Right. Um, and so have you guys worked together in a while or have you just stayed friends? We've stayed friends. We haven't. I mean, I guess the last thing that we did together was John did some mixing for my did we actually do it on my solo record? I don't think we did. I played you my solo record yeah. a few years ago <laughs> when I was making it. Um, and he was like, awesome. oh, I'm busy like, that oh, day. Yeah. Yeah. God, I'd love to, but um, <laughs> uh, no, was, we were like set points. to go. And well, then, how, has, how has the Seattle scene, because I didn't come up in the Seattle scene. I came up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And uh, how has the scene changed from when... Uh, we're all similar ages. Uh, I'm 46. You're 47. You're 47. 42. You're 42. And so we're similar enough in age that there is a scene here. And what's it like today as, a, as opposed to the way it was then? The main, thing, the main thing that's changed about the Seattle scene is that we're all in our 40s now. <laughs> yeah. So it's not for us. But is there still something, <clears throat> is there still a bubbling new sound or a new vibe or like what, what's going to come out of here that people don't know about yet? God. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that the, the bands that are coming up out of Seattle are, I guess I've, the thing is that bands in regions kind of all have equal access to the world now. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't, so, it's, yeah, everything kind yeah, of it's hard to have like a sound. Yeah. Although when you go out to see music mm -hmm. and the music you have access to is local, mm -hmm. then you can be influenced all similarly sure. by similar sounds. And that's the only way, but you're right. The and internet. your friends, bands, and kind of like the, it's, it's who you're on the bill with that is an influence and it's not, it doesn't, doesn't even necessarily musical. But actually, I mean, there's a lot of like poppy punk bands, you know, as there always have been in Seattle. Um, Right now, it seems like a, the center of gravity has shifted to hip hop in in Seattle. There's a lot of really, like, there's a lot of energy in that world, and people are starting to pay attention to it. And I don't, I mean, obviously, do you know like who maybe a few of the artists are that are coming? I would say, I mean, Raz Simone is really impressive. Um, I, I mean, I don't feel like enough of an authority because to me, hip hop was like at its greatest in like 1987 or 80, you know, like 80, 86 to 90 was like when I was truly attuned to hip hop and it changed my life. But like, yeah, but Raz did it influence you musically? It too? did actually. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not rapping certainly, but like, <laughs> honestly, like the, the, <laughs> which is good. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> we went up to MTV and they were interviewing you guys and I was so hungover. I was the most hungover I've ever been in my entire life. And I threw up in the MTV bathroom. That's awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. We were much younger. But um, they said, uh, and it was like February, so it was like Black History Month. Mm -hmm. So they said, we're asking the band all these questions, uh, all the bands that come through, about hip hop. And Sean was just like, why the fuck are you asking Harvey Danger about hip hop? And, and they said, they asked you, what's the future of hip hop? <laughs> and Sean goes, I think in the future, hip hop will continue to feature 
beats and rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I, proven, I, was, I was proven right on that. I thought that was the greatest answer to that question ever. It it's just so stupid. To, it's stupid to be asking me about the future of hip hop. But, <laughs> but, um, but on the other hand, Raz Simone is great. Um, Mac Ned is really great. There's a kind of commute. Mac like Head? Mac Ned, M A C K N E D. So everything. Hip hop that comes out of Seattle that's big is gonna start with Mac for a while. Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> Although there's a there's also a really strong movement of anti Macklemore songs and sentiments. Oh, really? and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I noticed that. I saw on YouTube some responses because the guy in his videos uh, uh, is a guy that I've met before that I'm a big fan of, and you would be too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the band that he had was called. Uh, uh, which why, guy in the video? I can't think. The uh, long-haired guy who yeah. does the, well, the vocal why, uh, hook thing. Why am I slipping it's, it's, right it's, now? It's not Wands, it's the other guy, right? Yeah. Um, Wands came into my studio recently, actually. He's an awesome singer. I'm sorry. Um, what is his... Uh, so, I'm going to think of it in a second. But he... Uh, that kid is fucking amazing. He's from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. He's the greatest showman I've seen in a while. And his band fell apart. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he's doing something, I'm just excited about. But I went to YouTube to see the video mm-hmm. and for and, downtown, the yeah, new, for downtown, yeah. and there was a lot of like Macklemore hate. Oh my god! Oh man! It's yeah, the Maclash. <laughs> but you know, you can't have you can't you can't be successful in <laughs> not certainly in not in Seattle and yeah, not get so completely cold. destroyed. Is that why? Is it? Oh, yeah. Is it because it's the most hostile environment? <laughs> even now, really, even really now, when is. nobody really believes that there's such a thing as selling out or anything bad about success, there's still a weird reflex that when somebody's in, successful, it, they'll it, just is, release is, the hounds. Uh, has hard. has this? Has that whole vibe been why the term uh, Seattle Freeze came about? No, I think that's a different thing, although they are somewhat related. I mean, the Seattle Freeze is like how people will will be like superficially nice to you. And right. then like a good example is, let's say you have plans to meet someone for lunch mm-hmm. at one o'clock at a specific place on a specific day and you go. And uh, there's two things that can happen. One is you go and they don't show up and you text them uh, and they either don't text back at all or ever acknowledge that you ever had the plans or that they bailed on them. That's amazing. That's a Seattle freeze. <laughs> wow. Or, and that could happen in St. Louis. Yeah, it and could it's still happen. called the Seattle still, freeze. Exactly. That's very powerful. That's why. <laughs> um, the other thing that can happen is that they'll text you and be like, oh, yeah, sorry, my phone's being weird. Or some completely, <laughs> completely nothing excuse that doesn't acknowledge right. any, yeah. no accountability. Right. That's right. Um, well, the nice band to, that I was nice trying to, to remember was Foxy Shazam. Oh, He's right. the singer oh, okay. from Foxy. Sure. And uh, and he did this bit that I stole <laughs> where he was on stage and he was like, you know, he gets done with this fucking massive song. And, and then when he talks, he's real quiet like this. Hey, uh, does anybody have any money? And so everybody starts throwing money up because they think he's going to do like some card trick or some uh-huh. shit. And he just p- puts the pile in his pocket and he goes, Thanks. This next song's called. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good move. It's a really good move, man. I wow. tried it once, and I just I was holding on to this girl's twenty dollar bill for like three songs, and I just was it was you crushing my soul. <laughs> yeah, so I had to give it back. The gag was over, but that reminds um, me of when Harvey Danger played in New Jersey, and I got pelted with quarters in the face. Holy <laughs> shit! Really? Like yeah. loose quarters or a roll? Yeah. No, loose quarters. Yeah. They weren't. They weren't barbaric. 
That was Boston. Where Why would that be? <laughs> I didn't, there was a there was a weird thing that happened because the in between the first and second Harvey Danger albums was when like Limp Bizkit became the norm. I'm sure you remember those, yeah. those glorious <laughs> days. Um, those heady times. Those heady times. It went from Fred, being like, Fred Durst really uh, took over the music business for a yeah, while. For a while. It was ridiculous. And that's, you know, <sighs> one, and you know, within a few years of that, the music business was <laughs> threatening not to exist anymore. It's weird. Yeah, that's it's right. weird. Almost yeah. because of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it had a big... It, it was... I mean, the backlash from Limp Biscuit. Yeah, is great. It's kind of Macklemore-ish, you know. It's greater than the success. Oh, it's way bigger, and also way more deserved. Like Macklemore, <laughs> I don't have any. Like I have no axe to grind with Macklemore. He's like he comes by it honestly. Like he yeah. just loves that music and makes it and had a big hit song. And he's yeah. doing the exact same thing he's been doing for like ten years. Absolutely. Yeah. And it comes out on Macklemore Records. Yeah. Like, it's it's but awesome. if it were, if it were like if I were a you know if I were a super int- if I were a hip hop musician and I were a you know trying to make my way I would of course like you people just get people get jealous and pissed about things who did you hate back in the day when you were <laughs> hated them all <laughs> really um, no I, I mean I was I was definitely I had a lot invested in being like an indie rock music snob before that became a much more pervasive cultural archetype. <laughs> right. I was sort of I was ahead of the curve on but that. But it was it was important, wasn't it? It was important it was important to I don't know. I just remember going around. There was a shift in the music world because when I came up, I'm older than you and when I came up, we hated everybody because you had to. It was mm-hmm. like I need that guy dead mm-hmm. if I want to win. Right. There's this only was, a certain amount of space that. here. And then, and everybody would be backstage and no one would talk to each other. And right, then there right. was a shift. And I, I call it the Bruno Mars shift, uh-huh. where when that whole th- era started, pop and rock people started to go, oh, wait, these hip hop guys, they've been right the whole time. They share the space. And by sharing the space, they take the entire dollar. Right. So if I try to get my percentage of the dollar instead of fuck it, let's work together and get the whole dollar. Right. That phase began in in the world that I was now newly a part of. Right. And so I started to like things and sure. be a fan of things as opposed to so then you saw that backstage people were coming together, high-fiving mm. each other because they just wrote a song last Thursday together and right. there was like a camaraderie in it and but when it started it was all about like no, I never heard of them. When you know who they are, you know. <laughs> my my version of that, and this John predates me in this zone, because he's you know hardcore Olympia. Um, <laughs> Olympia is the epicenter. It was not. It's not about the hating someone because they're the competition. It's hating someone because what they believe in is wrong. You know, like <laughs> hating hating people because they're ambitious or hating people because they're trying to be famous instead mm. of trying to be artists or whatever, which is, I mean, you still have that in, in you a little bit. though. I have like the germ of it mm. is ineradicable, but I don't actually believe it anymore. Like, I don't I don't think that it's wrong for people to, you know, did that sentiment inside of you do more harm or good? Uh, ultimately, actually, I think it did a lot more harm because it made me, when I found myself in the weird position of being in the music business sort of accidentally. And being successful. And being successful. I was in it accidentally because we had this success. Hmm. Um, I was like on guard and I sort of didn't want to admit that I was doing it while I was doing it. And I thought that maybe I could 
somehow make that world more interesting by refusing things. And what I should have said was yes, because then, first of all, we'd be doing this on my yacht instead of in your house. And, um, and second of all, you know, like I, I just don't, I don't think it's productive to kind of negate the world. Um, yeah, you don't want to exist by the, by, you don't want to define yourself with a negative. Yeah. Is there still time for Harvey Danger to have another moment? No. Why? Because we, I mean, we made two other records in the time, you know, like in the years after. Just people, Harvey Danger will always be just that one song to most people. And there's no, like, there, there is no mechanism in the world that could make that different. Even, like, the best, catchiest song ever. Would still it would still just be that other band, and we didn't. We also didn't have it in us to sort of write. We weren't a hit writing band. We wrote one song that was weirdly a hit, also, but it didn't like. There couldn't like you would never see the sheet music for it at Guitar Center. You know, it's not like it didn't it's, translate. It's, it does. It's, it's not versatile. Awesome though. Like, I love no it. No one who hears the song doesn't go, "Oh, I fucking love that song." Right. Well. And how I can you, tell you that you, some people have felt that way <laughs> in, in, in the world, but that's, you know, they're not, they're not the, the problem anymore. But at the time, it was a huge problem for me. But um, yeah, we're just, we have a legacy that exists to a small but very dedicated audience. And then we had this one song that was like... And because you have a, ded- a dedicated audience, could you do a, a tour again? You could at least do that. It's possible. I mean... I don't know. I just, I don't want to play casinos. Um, right. And I think that... I play of, casinos. I don't think there's... I mean, I just don't want to do it because I don't think we have the material that would please that audience. We have one song a, that would please that the audience. The first four rows are a tough crowd. Yeah. Because they're gifted the tickets because they're high rollers. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> first four rows of a casino are tough. Yeah. If you ever do decide maybe in three years, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to do casinos. Uh-huh. Come and talk to me and I'll tell you a little bit about... I would, I would actually be super interested in Dude, that. The, the, you get put up and stuff, right? They must be super deluxe, like, accommodations. Well, casinos will overpay you because they're not making their money from right, you. They don't, right, they yeah. It's That's not what they're in the business to do. They're in the business to get business. bodies <laughs> yeah. in their casino. So, John, did you, when, when we talked about doing this podcast and, and you invited Sean over and you brought your guitar, which I, I don't think I've ever seen you play guitar yet, yeah. Uh, oh. Did you play <laughs> the guitar on the Harvey Danger record? Nah, I don't but generally know, play. You people's. know this part. You know yeah, this guitar part. I looked part. it up on YouTube this week. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we could roll this song right now? Wait, what? Whoa. Are we? I'm. I'm singing this. Song? I don't know. No. Pat's performing the song. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, wait. Fuck it. I'm, I'm performing. <laughs> yeah. We better Let's write do down s- the lyrics. Can we do it together? Yeah, I got the lyrics in front of me. Do you remember the lyrics? You yeah, wrote them. I remember them. There, I can just uh, here. Uh, I did a rubbing from my tombstone because they're already on there. Sean, oh, Man, ambush! You, you I totally just ambushed. You him. have incredible lyrics. That well, I had visions. I was in them. I was looking into the mirror to see you. a little bit clearer. <laughs> that was the rottenness and evil in me. <laughs> Good stuff, there it man. is, man, dude. Are you Catholic? Uh, I was. I had. I had a little Catholic in there. In the mix, yes. There's been I had a little Catholic, Catholic in there. There's been another subject matter that was well. Yeah, there was a couple songs. I did, we yeah. We what is this about? Uh, well, 
it's sort of about, it was sort of a, God, what is it about? I've had a lot of different answers to that over the years. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's a great song. I get it. I mean, in a way you could say it's about masturbation, (laughs) but in another way you could say it's about how, you know, the way, uh, you know, rebellion was sort of commodified and encapsulated and uh, turned into another sort of product. And and how about the name Flagpole Sitter? Yeah. No, there's a good example of, <laughs> was that of like, how I Was that like tongue-in-cheek the, hip-hop kind it, of thing? It was a, it's a double reference to NWA and Pavement, which are hmm. two of the big two of the biggest influences on me. Really? I thought it was from 12 Angry NWA Men. NWA and Pavement. Yeah, just because wow. having an A at the end instead of an ER. Um, right. I mean, the thing is, if I had had any ambition beyond like if i had any actual smart ambition that song would have been called i'm not sick but i'm not well <laughs> right and which is a perennial problem with your band total <laughs> problem and but, so but here, we, here's- we actually believed that artistically it was it was more valuable to make people jump over a hurdle to mm-hmm. find what you were doing but and, see you know, I, I don't know i don't know that you're wrong because you know the youth of the world we know what we're talking about with art, I think. Mm-hmm. I think when you when adults start to run the art world, we're in trouble. And they already do because they run the business aspect of it. But they have to listen to young people or they're dead. Mm-hmm. And so you were right. I wrote a song called Drops of Jupiter. Yes. And I was on a major label. Yeah. Right? So you were on an indie label. You probably We weren't were, on any label. And then we were on a major but label. But once you were, you yeah. were probably like, hey, this is the way this is going to go. And they were just like, okay, we're going to call it Flagpole Sitta because you you fought them, right? But uh, you won. Yeah, exactly. I well, fought we, two and I lost. Yeah. So it was, he was like, all right, I'm going to let you, and I say he because it was the president of the label at the time, I'm going to let you call it Drops of Jupiter. But when they go in to ask people what the song is, they're going to say, do you know, do you have the song Tell Me? Yep. So in parentheses, it's called Tell Me. Yeah. I mean, the thing is... And nobody fucking calls it Tell Me. Right. right. Do you know the song Tell Me? Nobody except for him. But I bet him. for a while, when people would be asking for it, they'd be like, you know, the one that's like, eh, and they would sing it, and they would sing yep. the words Tell Me, yeah. Um, that's, that's, the thing is that I think you, you broke through to the point where it was like, I mean, Flagpole said it was like, unquestionably a hit, but it was like a it was like the biggest medium-sized hit you can have. You know, it's not like, yes, they'll play it at the World Series, but no, they won't play it during the Chrysler commercial of the World Series or whatever, you know? And I think you guys, like, your work reached just a much bigger audience. Well, but there's there's also a negative aspect of that, too, which is, you know, when no one, I, I don't know, maybe it was after our first record, people were like, oh, you sold out. And I was like, fuck, man, I've been trying to sell out since the beginning. <laughs> sold out years <laughs> ago, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't give me that much credit. But you guys, you just weren't willing to be that type of thing. And That's true, but we also weren't able to be that type well, of thing. Well, you kind of backed into it. Yeah. Like, it we just went bananas on the radio. Right. That, yeah, we, Made we, it. we did luck out in that sense. Did you get a crazy record deal because, or a crazy advance and everything, because it was, it was, it was already had heat on it? Well, here's the thing. That's what we didn't know. That's uh. like, We got a really good publishing deal, um, which we're still in, because <laughs> we never recouped it. But, um, uh, but uh, you know, we were offered 
big money for signing to various labels, but we, this is another thing where we thought like if we signed to a smaller label and kept the our expenses low mm. and didn't ever wind up in debt, then we would be able to just make records forever. Mm. Um, and but it's actually a we pretty smart mind. way of thinking of it. But now. we were advised. Right. We were advised by people who knew better to be like, no, 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 get a massive pile of money because you will never get another one, mm. and. Um, the debt thing doesn't matter. Like you're right. never going to get paid still, anyway. So right. get the money, go with the biggest company, be like, if you're doing it, do it. Mm. And we were like, huh, that's such charming old world logic, but we know way, way better. And of course they were absolutely right. Like we signed with a small label, decent people, some really good people, but like we intentionally took less money than we could have thinking it was just morally better, you know? Mm. Um, and also we thought professionally better. We were totally wrong about both. Um, and, uh, you know, it's I, I don't know. Evan, I, I, Evan tried to call me when the Interscope opera came in and, uh, and he said, well, we were going to be cool about everything, but this is crazy. And I was desperately trying to call you guys back at the house cause I was in New York in somebody else's apartment. So I just heard it go by on the machine and, um, and I was going to say like, yeah, dude, like, fuck yeah, take the deal. And yeah. Their phone had been disconnected for. Not, not Are you pay. kidding? <laughs> Is that a real story? That's absolutely I didn't, true. I didn't know that, but that's totally plausible. Oh my god! I and mean, so we might have had a, we came might, in with a with a real heavy handed offer. The eleventh hour, yeah. yeah, they were like, "Look, you can have the same exact contract you're getting from this other label, plus a million dollars, plus." Uh, a, new, a job for the A and R guy who you want to work with, and like, wow. basically like dude, you can have the you can have the. They were gonna the store. give a guy a job, yeah, because they knew how much dough was in. Yeah, well, because it was already we didn't understand. It was already it was already market tested. Like they didn't, there was no guesswork at all, but we didn't understand, and nobody. And how involved were you? You made the record. Right right so. He was right there the whole way. Actually, it would, never would have happened without John. Well, we made the record because for fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, fifteen hundred dollars. You mean when you In say record days, that song? The, no, the no, album. The album. The whole album. Yeah. fifteen hundred dollars. That's yeah. about right. <laughs> At John's studio yeah. in like wow. five days over the course of a year. Well, we did like three different demo sessions that right. were like three songs, and it was like when you first came in. Why it was did like, you do that with these guys? I mean, you, you, you guys you wanted working. to make an album for eight hundred bucks, <laughs> and I was like, but this stuff is like. <laughs> right. And he was like, "No, you got to think big. Let's make it fifteen hundred bucks." Right. Yeah, right. right. Like that That's was their budget, eight hundred dollars for an album. Well, but, well, and I was like, "But it's but this stuff is really catchy. We should just do a few songs and send it around, and mm. somebody should somebody should be interested." Yeah, and then. Somebody was interested, but then there, so we did more, and then she got fired or Seattle. left town or something, and I never got paid for it. So that's actually right. In Seattle at the time, like y you had access to just as much as LA because there was such a scene here, right? I, I wasn't plugged into that so much. I mean, I mean, the Pearl I mean, Jam guys were all around, but, but everything that just from like, like Nirvana and uh, and Pearl Jam. And what was the other? Uh, Soundgarden. Soundgarden. And also, like, Sir Mix-a-Lot yeah. and, and the hip-hop world was bubbling here. The Presidents. Yeah, yeah. the Presidents. Like, there was a, a bunch scene. Of stuff. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, there were there were a bunch of scenes. But, I mean, like, John had a studio of his own. And it was in a, it was a really, in a, like, the jankiest building in Fremont. It was the this house of Fremont at that time mm. relative to this neighborhood. Um, and 
it sounded great. And it mm. was like, there was so was much history in the room. room. Yeah. I like the, you know, the two things I really remember about it, uh, about the making of that record were that we got bumped. Our first day had to start a week later because Pearl Jam wanted to come in there and do their demos for <laughs> the Yield album with John. <laughs> Did um, they do that with you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which, was it Yield? I think it was Yield. Or maybe it was... Whatever it seems like it right would have been earlier than that. It was 1996. Oh, was that? Was it McCready that Six, was coming seven. in? I thought it was the whole band, hmm. or at least uh, some or was chunk Jeff. Because was I've done different things with Jeff and Mike McCready, and I've always bellyache about how they give me the side projects that sold a total. <laughs> you of always like bellyache. Seven, yeah, 750 copies or something. I still get the statements from Sony. It's like <laughs> ridiculous. Like, come on, like the things nobody's ever heard of. Right. Meanwhile, you know. There was like at the time what like Mad Season was like multi platinum right. and all this other mm. stuff. So the other side projects were enormous. Was you Mad Season? You did you record that? Nah, I didn't do it. Mm. You did some three fish work though. I did if I'm not three much fish. mistaken. Jeff's. Um, but then yeah. that so that but then also like the de- the the album that had just been made in the like the week before at the same place with John was uh, Slater Kinney's Dig Me Out, which right. to me which is, is a big punk rock a much more important album than really I can't think of. 10 albums that are more important to me than that one. Um, Why was that so important to you? Because it's great. I mean, it's really great. And it's mm. three people. And it just is like the most energetic. Mm. It was just right down my alley also. You know, it's like really great rock and roll. In a, in how, did you get, how did you get your, how did each of you guys get your musical, uh, the the register of like what was cool and what was not cool? Where did it Where did it come from? Because my manager talks to me about he tries to figure me out all the time, like why I write certain things, why I respond to certain things. And he's like, I know what it was. I think I figured it out. There was a time when there was a shift in music and it went from this to this and you went to this side of it instead of this side of it. Like instead of going to the Smiths and Depeche Mode, I went to uh, listening to Crocus. <laughs> uh, you know, like, and that's well, just what early I did crocus, sure. because I played drums and I lived in Pennsylvania and that's where that was for me. But you didn't like, you would have gone to the Smiths I never listened to Depeche Mode, yeah, right? I, I was already Smiths, I think. But that's, if I was Smiths for Johnny Marr, I still wasn't Smiths for, but you were Smiths for Morris. Yeah. When I heard the Smiths, I really, it was really like seeing the sunshine for the first time. Really? Like, music to me was always like this thing that. You know, I didn't quite like. I loved the Beatles. I love like I loved my parents' records. I loved certain songs, but I never felt like I was. You had your thing. I never felt like I was allowed in music. It was. It seemed like other people got it, and I sort of was like trying to. Un- it was like learning. It was like learning a language, not the not not music theory, but just like band world. It seemed like it was there was a cool world, and I was on the outside of it. And then I heard the Smiths. Smiths and R.E.M. were the two big things for me that really were like, oh, here, we made this record just for you wow. to appreciate. Wow, that's you cool. You will get this. And you know, then, I think Matt Nathanson, Jerry and I have a friend named Matt Nathanson. I think that was his shift. But, like, I can't think of a band I like less than R.E.M. Interesting. You, you like Crocus better than yeah. R.E.M., is what you're saying. Yes. I mean, not today, but, like, when when I was staying steady with the, the rock part of me mm-hmm. and really didn't respond to the new age of music coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like now 
I totally get Depeche Mode. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of get the Smiths, but they still, it's a miss for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this I, voice is not for everyone. I Yeah, right. And so. But that's also part of what I like. I like things. Sure, that makes sense. Um, I just was like, there were certain things that I just didn't respond to and still don't. And yeah. REM is one of them that I just go like. It's almost like, like from, from when, because there's two, definitely two phases. of But it's game. like I think what happened was I didn't get three, them and I wanted to, but then they got so big that I was like, yeah. How this, insane is this it is that they were as big as they were? They were the biggest band there is. They yeah. were as big as a rock band can that's be. That's right. Yeah. For yeah like, but didn't they sign a virgin years. for like eighty I, million? They sound, dollars. I think that's their when Warner I was Brothers like, deal in nineteen ninety five or six was the biggest rock band deal that had ever been made because it was because AOL and Time Warner had merged. God. And so they had, to, and they had the number one record. So it's like, well, we gotta, and it was the, the number one record was the, the culmination of their deal. Hmm. So like, you're in a pretty Why? strong bargaining yeah. position. The Kinks Beautiful. had a similar thing with Lola. They did. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Like they they had had. See, I love the Kinks. The Kinks are great. Um, they had, yeah, they had had a couple of flop records. And their label was like, Jesus, I can't wait to get rid of this band, The Kinks. Right. <laughs> and then they made the record with Lola on it. It was the last one in their deal. And right. suddenly it was like, oh, it was on. Wow. How much, what do you want? It was the biggest single they ever had. Right. What do you want? What do you want? And then they, and then they signed a pretty big deal. And then they made five bizarre concept Come rock operas. In a, that was still 20 years. That was still 15 years later. Oh, right. This wow. was like 1970. Um, then they, yeah, they made like a country album. Then they made like four rock operas and then they, and then, <laughs> and then they started making hits in America in like the late seventies. Super hmm. bizarre band, but great. The greatest maybe. Well, it's, it's cool. You guys seem to have like a connection out of, uh, not just friendship, but like things that you like that are in common. Yeah. And, uh, I think so. music and bands and stuff. Yeah. What, what, who are you working on now, John? Are, are you always working on something? Uh, something, yeah. But um, yeah, but that's kind of how it is. If you're not, you're freaking out that you're not working. Right. So uh, I guess a mixing live Slater Kenny uh, record. They sent me a show from Paris and a show from London, and it sounds very uh, glamorous. That's great. <laughs> um, and uh, half of a Not a Surf record. And gosh, any more think. any more Pearl Jam demos? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because once they hear this, they are big. <laughs> they'll be like, "We should give John this next record." Dude, that'd be so. They do so well now. Like they own their whole universe now. Mm. So they own their whole universe. Yeah. Right, so right, they right. have a warehouse. They sell. It's all their own merch. All their own distribution. Like, mm. uh, like. Yeah. It is the. It is the amazing story that. Of all the bands from yeah. that time, Pearl Jam wound up being not only the ones that lasted, but the most punk rock of all of them in, like, in that sort of spiritual this, way. Right, and like this super smart about their business, and they took on Ticketmaster mm. and all this stuff, but they were built... It's funny, because they were built for success. Like, for Stone and Jeff like, planned out the mm. first two years of Pearl Jam's existence. Wow, really? And they called up Mike, because he was the hot shit guitar player, the luckiest man alive. They called him up from L.A. <laughs> Because he was trying to be a, like a spandex rock type dude, right? You know, and they were just like, "Get up here, we got this thing." And yeah, they they, I mean, they were super focused, mm. like super focused to the point where, like, two years later, they were like, "I wish we weren't so focused. We're all like toast and pissed off and exhausted." But then they changed how they were completely. Yeah, I mean, I like they're another band that like 
there, I objected to Pearl Jam when I was 19 or 20 when they were getting really successful, not because they were successful, but just because they didn't, you know, they didn't appeal to me and other things appeal to me more. Mm. But as I got like, they're, they're maybe the ultimate example of like, I respect them so much. Oh, that's cool. In a way that I was not capable of respecting them early on. Um, I'm, I, is there a time, major time limit? Two more hours. <laughs> okay. Because I would like to get back into this thing of you liking Crocus more than you like R.A.M. Yeah. Because I well, think no, we no, need no. to he, dissect he, that. Here's what it is. And it has to do with Pearl Jam, too. And I could name several others. I have nothing against any of them. Mm-hmm. Except for how massive they've gotten. Mm-hmm. So, like, R.E.M., Pearl Jam, John Legend. These are all things in a category of, I get why people like them, but why they are as successful as they are, I, uh, I object, Your Honor. Right. <laughs> like, Sustained. to me, it is like fucking no it. way. Like, I can't even believe it. I'm with you on, on the others. I'm with you on Pearl Jam, I'm with you on John Legend, but I have to just, I'm just gonna throw, throw the gauntlet down about R.A.M. because... <laughs> I just love them. They're just, I mean, and they don't have to be your favorite, but I have to, I want, I just want to keep talking about it because well, this is my favorite subject. All I know is that when Crocus opened for REM, they blew them <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> I think that's cool that hey, everybody has to have a favorite thing. Like my favorite thing was Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that John made a Christmas record with us, you know, to me, it doesn't make any sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Because he's so, you're still punk rock. I mean, like, you're my age, look at but you're you're in <laughs> like the Sid Vicious up. meets but Johnny like, Thunders. You, know, you just represent you represent an area of music, and working with Train Train is just not in the area of music you work with. But I think that's what's so great about. I think you made a great record with us, dude. That, that record is smoking awesome. It sounds Jeez. so good. Uh, it's ridiculous. People are excited about. Yeah, they're excited about the Slade song. As as the <laughs> did you do the Slade Christmas song? Yeah. We did Merry Christmas, everybody. It's a great song. And because it's so unfamiliar to most people. Oh really? Well, you, you're in, in America. Un, nothing's not familiar to I you. Mean, but like in England, if you said of that, of course, right. the whole oh, that's right. Room would start singing. Yeah, it. but like I do a show on Sirius now, mm-hmm. and like half of the people that I play, it's a it's it's about new music. Right. Uh, but it has to fit. In on the the format of music, like the station that I'm doing the show for, right. and half of the stuff is like UK or uh, or European music. That's you know they're headlining uh, uh, festivals all over Europe, but they couldn't sell 300 tickets here. Sure. So it's they have 125 million YouTube views, and none of them came from anywhere around here. Right. And uh, that's just the kind of thing about the Slade Christmas song. When people hear hear it, they're like, oh, that's a great train song. Right. And so we're like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, we'll give right them on. the publishing, but we're sure. going to take credit. Sure. I mean, I'm, that's why part of why I'm so surprised you didn't record the Harvey Danger Christmas song on this album. Oh, well, I didn't know that you had one until just now. What's that called? Sometimes you have to work on Christmas. Sometimes. The second sometimes. We're dead parentheses. <laughs> It's called Sometimes You Have to Work on Christmas Sometimes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, I played bass on it. That's true. Yeah, and yeah. you have a great sense of humor with your music. <laughs> Thanks. It's hard to, a lot of bands uh, I've found, it's, I guess this may be less true now, but I think there was a long time where 
you sort of weren't supposed to let your music be funny and because people really want right. their music, rock and roll especially, to be like really serious um, and, you know, like meaningful. But I think the funny things are meaningful too. And then, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm a huge Eminem fan, but like there's no mistaking that he's like basically a comedy act who also does music, you know, like uh, clearly the appetite is there in the audience. Like that he's comedy more than music. I mean, he's, I would say he's equally comedy and music. See, I, uh, you know, people put him in a category of, of, of rap and hip hop. Mm -hmm. If people would have put him in a comedy category, I may have responded better to him because when I compare him to things that, I do appeal like that are appealing in hip hop and rap. Mm-hmm. I just go like I can't have a guy yelling at my at me for three minutes. Yeah. That just sounds crazy. When you know you hear a guy like Biggie or or Tupac or mm-hmm. somebody else. Yeah. Even like Sir Mix a lot. You know he he had a a really good vibe. He's great. And uh, so I don't know. I just struggle with. Uh, well, I don't know what it is. It's like a, a certain level voice. of success that I. I think that, I mean, I think that's like the, the fact that, I don't know, the, the 2000 to 2010 decade, I don't know what we've agreed to call that. Is it the, <laughs> right. Did we say the Audis? Is that what it is? <laughs> but like when it came out that Eminem was the single biggest selling artist of that era. Yeah. And also I think the most like social, like the most popular, widespread, beloved, whatever. Yeah. I really was like, oh, that's. That explains why I couldn't pay any attention to any music in that during that ten years. I mm. really checked out. What about you now? What like uh, you and I are probably not as far away from each other as being like uh, I don't know about hypercritical, but definitely good luck to everybody. Mm-hmm. But here's who I think deserves yeah a listen. Like yeah. who are in your categories, both of you, of like. Here are some underrated artists that you should go check out, not just from today, but yesterday. Like, go check this out. Um, God. Well, I mean, I, I, tend to, I tend to think about my friends' bands in that, in that line because... Who, who are they? Well, my friend uh, Michael Lerner, is a, he has a project called Telekinesis, and he puts out records on Merge Records, and he has a new one coming out on Friday that's called Ad Infinitum. That's absolutely great. So and it's his electronic. Yeah, and he like he was a he had made three. So it's electronic music. No, it's it's, it's uh, not. It's, it's like, like it's like he's a like power pop basement telekinesis kind of telekinesis. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to spell that. T-E-L-E-K-I-N-E-S-I-S. That's fine. And then there's an exclamation mark sometimes. Um, <laughs> and he's a, he has a new record coming out. He has out. a new record coming out. It's called Ad Infinitum. Um, but he like he had made three power pop records. They all did pretty good. Toured around. Did like his rock and roll dreams came true. And then he like picked up his guitar, started to write, and he was like, I can't. I can't do it. I just can't do this anymore. Hmm. I can't. This, this, I'm so bored with this kind of music and with myself and blah, blah, blah. And so he went and bought over the course of a few months like a ton of old vintage keyboards not like 60s 70s vintage but like 80s vintage like you know the the first wave of the stuff that you were talking about that you like Depeche Mode I guess is a sort of you know British British gloom pop things and just learned how to use them and made this record out of it and it's I don't know it's it's, it's cool because it's, it's really like his melodic sense is still there, but it's it, 
got a different background. Who, who's somebody that, that you admire right now, either oh, from now or uh, the past? That's, but this is a tough question. I'm not going to have a good answer for it, I don't think. Darn it. Also, La Luz from Seattle. Really great. Who is? La Luz. La Luz? LA space, L-U-Z. They put out a record not that long ago um, called Weirdo Shrine. They're, Weirdo they're, Shrine? Weirdo Shrine. <laughs> they make... Um, Do you think there's a level of uh, uh, discomfort that you have to be going through as an artist to make great work? Um, I don't think you have to, no, but I do think that, um, the impulse to make stuff and show it to the world and ask for their money or approval coincides with a neediness that artists have that also coincides with finding ways to be miserable all the time. (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't think you, I don't think you have to, because I've known people who are like, Right. Oh yeah. Just to make ben Gibbard. Ben Gibbard. Ben Gibbard <laughs> yeah. is. I mean, he is certainly uh, subject to having the you know moods or the blues or whatever. But like, he is a guy who, from really as soon as I got to know him at all, it became clear that like he he has the strongest work ethic and is just such a like he's a hard worker, is a really inspired artist, and basically is like. Oh, looked around one day and was like, oh, everything I ever wanted? Sure, I'll have it. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> mm. You know, like he got, he basically, I think of the whole Death Cab story as like, that's how it ought to be when people work hard and are good and, you know, their music means something to people. Mm. They're, they're all good people. They're all like, they have a certain sense of balance. They haven't lost their artistic ambition. Um, they give a shit about what they do. You seem to be pretty supportive of Seattle and yeah. the and the work that comes out of Seattle. Yeah, I am. I mean, not all of it, but like it matters to me that these are cuz I I don't know. I know what it's like to be a band in Seattle. I I don't know what it's like to I mean, I you sort of know what it's like to be in a band anywhere once you've been in a band. But like there's something particular about Seattle that Yeah, Seattle's a tough Seattle, Seattle lives are tough, right? Yeah. If, yeah. Like I felt like that coming out of San Francisco, that if if San Francisco said yeah, yeah, then we were like, oh boy, okay, we could really do this, I because think, it's not just about venues and opportunities; it's about getting past the, the people the of your community. Yeah, the gatekeepers for sure. But San Francisco is at least like slightly, you know, it's like big enough of a city mm. that like. Though there are the gatekeepers there for sure, and they were they're like proud of it. If you can get over in San Francisco, it's a good test case for you being able to get over in other places. Whereas yeah. Seattle is small enough that just because like you can be the biggest band in Seattle, or you, maybe nobody, not anymore, and right. no one else no one. will ever want to yeah. know. Right? I mean, New York works that way a little bit. Too. Yeah. So there's a so there's a vibe here that maybe doesn't translate over the borders, huh? Sometimes, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, I remember right when I first moved here in 1990, late 91, early 92, um, the biggest band in Seattle with no, like, there's, there's no qualification to this that wasn't, like, a major label international artist was Hammerbox, right. who were John's friends. Um, and they were a great band. I'm sure you've never heard of them. A lot of people have never heard of them. But they would, like, pack any room they played they would pack it out like 
wall-to-wall people, the sweatiest room you've ever been in, just people going insane, and they were so good, so powerful, all the stuff. They would drive as far as, like, you know, Olympia or Portland or, you know, Boise. No one would go. And they, really? they got a major label deal, put out a record. It didn't work. The people didn't care. For some reason, there was something about them that was just a Seattle phenomenon. And they were, I mean, I'm not like, when they didn't make it nationally, it didn't diminish how great they were in Seattle. Mm-hmm. It just means that Seattle is like its own little self-contained bubble and right. we, we like what we like. It takes a long, it takes a long time to say we about Seattle. Yeah, man, yeah. that's for sure. And so well, you guys, but you guys got the treatment. Harvey Danger definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> suffered for being a Seattle Damn. band. So uh, now you, uh, you'll continue your careers in Seattle. You'll keep making records and producing and, and mixing. And yeah, I mean, now it's like so crazy um, because every, the technology has made it so, you know, I just mix at my house. And But I know, I know guys stuff. who lived in their hometown for a long, long time, and then when the music world took a certain turn they realized i gotta move at 45 at 55 mm-hmm. to and keep working yeah so it might be la and nashville yeah. yeah are you gonna be good just sticking in sticking it out through seattle i can you see yourself in five years going honey i want to move to la not la but nashville i mean we met in brooklyn and lived in brooklyn for oh, a couple really? of years um and that was everybody that was i know awesome. from brooklyn that's writers they all moved to la Really? I was born Almost in LA. Every single one of them. I was born in LA and my parents live in Nashville, so I'll be fine. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you'd be good. Seattle is still an escape route for me. But, um, but you know, it's getting to the point where you simply can't afford to live in Seattle uh, right. anymore. Yeah. Doing, so like, if being a starving a artist guy. type. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's tough. The, the artist community is shrinking all over the country, though. Which you would have seen in San Francisco. Like, the way San Francisco people started getting priced, like bands, I started hearing about bands getting priced out of their their rehearsal spaces because of tech booms. Sure. And like, in, like, yeah. 97 is when yeah. I first started hearing that. That's really happening here now. Right. People's rents are going absolutely through the roof because yeah. Amazon is bringing a million people here. Yeah. Hmm. There's it's an 800 square foot apartment for... Nineteen hundred dollars <laughs> on Capitol Hill. Well, yeah. And, and so, John, you have a family. You have yeah. two children. One. One. Yeah. And how about you, Sean? You have a family. I'm married, but I do not have a family. We have a dog. Great. Good dog. Before uh, before you guys leave, and maybe if I could convince you to leave playing this Harvey Danger song, mm-hmm. I would just want to ask you last few personal questions. Uh, is there something that you have found on tour or on the road that you would like to tell Patcast listeners about, like a like a taco shop or a record store, something in Alberta, somewhere in Spain, somewhere in Seattle, somewhere <laughs> they should in go. Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> um, Did Harvey Danger get to travel past borders? Like, where where's the farthest that you guys have gone? Uh, we. Did we did North America extensively and all across Canada? Um, we didn't really go. We went to. We played one show in Paris and one show in London. Um, we never did any European touring. I subsequently did some Euro- European touring with another band, um, but yeah, that's that was it. Um, which is a source of great regret. 
actually that we didn't because we have our, that song is the theme song to a fairly popular sitcom and yeah England. right it, the peep show right peep show. yeah and um which was a great would have been a great re- it was a opportunity yeah and so we thought about like maybe we could just you know go play glastonbury Something, right, which we still UK. think about doing. Yeah. Well, you know really? the the main goal of doing that. this the main goal of doing this podcast is to bring up very uh, sad memories for people. Oh, good. <laughs> so that when you leave here, you're like, "Fuck, I really need to get in touch with my therapist again." <laughs> right. Uh, so, is there down. something that you have found though anywhere that, or even something in Seattle, tell people about uh, a place that they have to go to? Mm. It's hard to think of a, a specific thing, but I will say that my tour, my one like across the board tour uh, secret that I really enjoyed doing, and in, in, you can do it really in any, almost any uh, like mini mall or shopping center. So you go to a place that uh, it's like a hair salon, like Supercuts or you know any sort of cheap ass hair place, and um, just give the give the person ten bucks and have them. Um, give you a shampoo because it's the cheapest scalp massage you will ever get it's incredibly <laughs> relaxing and it's like it's really really therapeutic plus your hair is probably dirty because you probably haven't been taking <laughs> well, a shower well that's not a bad day. idea it's it's like that it works if you are an indie band touring in a van and sleeping on floors it works if you are hmm. a major label band if they and still have those you know like <laughs> if they still have the sort of the version of a tour where it's Buses, but not necessarily fully staffed, like catering and you know right. a, a massage therapist. One um, of the uh, one of the tricks that Jerry always had was when we were in our van days, we were all broke. Yeah, so he would just give me ten bucks to shampoo his hair. <laughs> and it's nice uh, work if you can get it. It was very relaxing for him. Yeah, he enjoyed it, and uh, and his hair was dirty. And so, what about you? Anything in Seattle that you're into, John? Um. Do I like places to eat or places you just have to see? Forget it. Let's move uh, on to the next question. Uh, Holy, I mean, I've been talking to lot. Sean about nice this fucking thing for like 45 minutes, and then you're like, I got you nothing. want to repeat the question. I got nothing. Sorry. Uh, what kind no. of birthday cake are you guys into? Supermarket sheet cake. Really? Yeah. Supermarket sheet cake. Yeah. Oh, boy. What a man. That's no, I don't, want any, food. I don't want any fruit in it. Food. I don't want any budge, alcohol bro. in it. I don't want, I want frosting flowers. <laughs> Okay. I don't. I just don't. I think that are like hard. No like marzipan shit. Yeah. Like no marzipan. Want- exactly. Right. No. No soccer tort. Supermarket <laughs> sheet cake. If you can't bother to put my name on it, that's fine. Right. And then what about you, John? Angel food cake. That was my yeah. grandma's thing. Yeah. And you like fruit and shit on it? Nah. Just <laughs> like really, just the angel food cake, and it doesn't matter if there's frosting or not. Like right. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Big giant spongy cake as cake. Yeah, excellent call. So, do either of you drink alcohol? Yep. Yep. And uh, what are your drinks of choice? <laughs> I recently started drinking. Uh, I really wanted to. I wanted a signature drink for myself that was, you know, not just like a bourbon on the rocks, which is what I've been drinking. My brothers run a whiskey distillery in Nashville, which is part of why I stayed faithful to bourbon. But um, French 75 is the, my new drink of choice. And, uh, and sometimes I'll get a French 77, <laughs> which is know. a French 75 with a St. Germain float. <laughs> I mean, what, th- you know what? It's a little fancy. This, it's this, super fancy. <laughs> your drink makes me hate the Smiths even more. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. What, what about you, John? Um, I work here, Kettle one soda. 
What and is it? Kettle one and soda. Vodka oh, soda. kettle one and soda. Oh, yeah. I thought it was Kettaloni. Kettaloni. <laughs> that's, that's what I call it <laughs> after about three. Of them. <laughs> Give me yeah, the Italian Kettaloni. vodka. You know, I never, I never think to ask people what their coffee drink is. What's your wow. whole vibe when you go into? And you know, Seattle is like yeah. that's where it all kind get, of blossoms. In fact, I'm drinking it now. Um, what is it? An Americano with four shots. Wow. Quad. That's a fucking like you're hardcore. I'm. How many of those will you put away today? Like two or three. Wow, twelve shots. And that's before I start with the drip coffee. (laughs) However, taper down to that. You know, it really is like that. My daughter Autumn is six years old. She likes coffee. Really? She'll drink my wife's coffee. Holy cow! You got to get on top of that. What are you talking about, man? I mean, the (laughs) worst thing that can happen is. Oh, really? Um, I don't know. That's a... No, maybe that's... <laughs> no, that's cigarettes. That's cigarettes. Know. Never mind. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, and so, uh, what's your coffee drink, John? I don't. I don't really go there. Like, I just go... You don't drink coffee? I, well, right at the moment, I don't drink coffee, but... Um, Perrier, though. Yep. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm there with you. So... But just a drip. Who are your drinking partners, your favorite people to drink with? Oh, geez. Just about anyone. Just what? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, a couple glasses. I'm whoever's there. Whoever's around. <laughs> yeah. I'm whoever's in the here. mirror. It'll be, uh, it'll be fine. You got a drinking partner, Sean? Um, I don't have a drinking partner, but I have had many excellent evenings spent drinking. You know, um, there is a, uh, well, the best night of drinking I ever got to do was with Christopher Hitchens. He, I oh my drinking God. with him one night. That's a um, good. That's a good that night. Was very good. Um, but I will say that um, on a more regular basis, uh, my friend Robin Hitchcock, who is a um, singer songwriter that is reasonably, he's like a cult artist in America, mm. and even more of a cult artist in Robin England. Hitchcock. Robin Hitchcock. Robin with a Y. He's been making records for. 35 yeah. years <laughs> and I right. have been I have been uh, I, I tour with him from time to time and sing on his records sing like that's cool sort of Garfunkel Jerry for knows, hire Jerry knows Robin his music oh, well yeah. uh, and so he is a great drinking who, buddy who would you trade your drinking buddies in for one night with anyone that has ever existed wow one mm. night anybody who has ever existed anyone who's ever existed <laughs> <laughs> well Julius Caesar I guess <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. You know, that wouldn't be bad. One night or, drinking. Or Brutus to go Brut- like, hey, right, man, exactly. what, or, like, I know what's about to go down, but. Et tu, Brute. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, I wouldn't, like, y- it would be a total bummer to hang out with John Lennon for the night. Because you know it would just be all about him. But then you would be so interested in him that mm. it, maybe it would be fun. Or like Bob Dylan. In 65, when people are, like, at their coolest, mm. they're the biggest assholes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you go, oh, dude. That movie's so brutal. So that means yeah. that I'm I'm at my biggest height of being an asshole because I've never been this cool before. <laughs> right. Before I am right I was, now I mean, at this moment. Uh, exactly. And that's why it's all about you. Uh, I think, I think you know, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted my wife and my mom to meet. Hmm. But then I think, well... Drinking with them, I, I would probably wake up the next day like shit. I don't even know if that happened, so that would be the wrong combination. Right. <laughs> uh, however, I think I would like to go back into like many generations of my family and go to like my grandfather's great grandfather, so I could see like 
oh, now I can see why I fucking do that all the fucking time. <laughs> or, you know, like, like, oh, that's so sweet. I should right. try to bring that back into my family existence of like helping people and being nice. Whatever that thing would be, it'd be fun to find out where you came from on a, on a real level, you know? Yeah. Shit gets real. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, uh, that's the end of that because you didn't really, uh, you don't really have anybody, John? In in history, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be McCartney or something. McCartney. He's he would start playing songs on the piano right, for you. Right, exactly. That reminds like, me of a charming thing I once did. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. He'd, but he's very he's a good host. Plus, you would want to smoke pot with him more than have a drink. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would want to smoke pot with Willie Nelson. That's yeah, who I would yeah, that'd be pot. great. Okay. I have a funny story about smoking pot with Willie Nelson <laughs> that I could tell. Really, you smoked pot with Willie? I Nelson? I never did. No, but oh. my. My uh, stepfather was a sound mixer in Hollywood oh, cool. for many years, and he worked on a movie called um, Baja, Oklahoma. It was one of the first movies that HBO ever produced, and it was a bunch of country singers in it, and Willie Nelson was in it. And my dad had actually known Willie Nelson in Nashville years and years before. Um, but it was late at night. It was like take 27 of a complicated live thing, and my dad gets tapped on the shoulder. It's very tense, and one of Willie's guys it's like uh willie would really like to see you in his trailer right away and he was like i can't i can't. i'm on the set like we're gotta get this next shot and he's like right but um willie kind of wants to see it in his trailer right away and my dad's like uh, okay and so he like signals to the director and the you know the ad and the ad's like all right everybody like take take 10 we're gonna wait for the sound mixer to go do his thing and he's like tiptoes through this crowd of surly extras and gets back to the trailer uh and you know opens the door it's full of people it's just like wall-to-wall pot smoke and he like you know like squeezes his way back into the back room and willie is sitting on one of those on one of the padded like banquettes of the you know trailer holding a uh an eight track tape and trying to fit it into a regular cassette player. <laughs> <laughs> so we called for the sound guy. <laughs> and so my dad wow, then dude. just sort of turned around and went back to work. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, pretty fucking good. Uh, either you guys into Star Trek or Star Wars, which one is preferable? Star Wars, for sure. I think Star Wars is preferable, although... Sure, the- I just watched the... What I still call the first three, right? That are like four, but all that other—that's a bunch of bullshit. All that. Yeah, we that was that. Those movies came out right when we were in. We were making the second Harvey Danger record. We were mixing it at the Village. Recorder. The new Star Wars oh, movies. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Phantom Menace came out there, and like it was the one time. <laughs> Is in there our any lives way we could, could recall Jar Jar Binks or whatever? Jar Jar right. Binks. George R. Binks. Man, I disliked that character so bad. They're also bad, but the problem was they were so bad that you were like, God, this is so, it's sacrilege. And you go back and watch the originals and you're like, well, <laughs> maybe those weren't as good it as makes we sense. thought. Right. Yeah, that um, was my one problem. Well, how do people get in touch with you guys or do you not want them to? Like, like if you want uh, new artists or, or people, how do they come find you? They can find me just at johngoodmanson.com. JohnGoodmanson.com. Yeah, and there's a contact. Any thing. you you know you don't do Twitter or any of that shit. I, I, I have accounts everywhere, but that on all of them they say please contact me through this other thing. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. And it used to all go, used to all go through a management company, but now 
they'd all kind of fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Sean? Are you interested in anybody getting in touch with you at this point? Yeah, or I mean, I don't, really? I don't know why they would want to, but they're welcome to. <laughs> um, I'm pretty accessible in the world. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, all the Sean Nelson names were taken up by people who also are named Sean Nelson. So, in a, I also, I'm exactly the right age that when email came along, the thing was like you you would make a clever name in some way because you didn't want people to necessarily know it was you. But now now you're supposed to have everybody know it's you. So, right. Um, minus Sean Traversy <laughs> um, <laughs> on Twitter. For been really? Yeah. Sean Traversy? Sean Traversy. Oh, that's amazing. Like the Prince song, um, <laughs> except with S-E-A-N at the front. That's hilarious. So just, uh, just before we maybe play the song, if you'll let uh, – I just want John and you to know what, because the first time we met you, we were like, hey, we love you, you know, brother, where art thou? And all the other jokes that you've probably heard for 25 years about John Goodman. <laughs> right, right. So we thought that your real name was probably John Goodman, but you changed it because it was annoying. And so this is where we thought you got it from. Uh, it's John. John who? It's John. John lived. It was about it. John Cocktoastin. <laughs> Man, John Goodman, John Goodman skin, Cocktoastin. Yeah. So that's where we, uh, that's what we talk about I'm when like, you're not around. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to know that. I just, I can't live with this on, on me anymore. If living is without you. Um, my real name is Goodmanson, but I got my first job because of the studio manager thought it was John Goodman guy. Right. That's because amazing. he had been in the week before doing some, and it this guy was doors. a real charmer. And, and so he thought, you know, that John Goodman was calling him up to go out yeah. for a drink and he gets me going, oh, asking for an internship. All right, come on in. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, had, well, I've thanks so much for, for being a part of the, the PatCast and uh, sorry I took so much of your time up, but I really appreciate you coming all the way yeah, in from dude. Seattle. Super fun. Is there any way we can uh, try to play this last song, even if it's just a speck of it? Yeah. I mean, it's just the <laughs> Absolutely. What John, are you going to play any of it? I don't play. Uh, I'll play an acoustic. We have, uh, we have some acoustic guitars sure. over there. You know, the, the hook is always played on a fuzz bass. That's yeah. what people cover this song, and they always get it wrong. Because Do you ever visit YouTube to see who's covering stuff? Not for a long time. I, I used to look yeah. around for it's, evidence it's of myself. Fun. It's, it's fun good. It's it. nice that people do it. Uh, Every once in a while, someone will send me something, and I'll, I can't listen to it. Like, <laughs> I don't. I just can't. I can't hear the song ever again. It's very rare for you me. You can't to be able to. hear the song again. I can't stand it. You can't stand the oh song. God, no. Oh, why? <laughs> I, I've heard it enough. Like I've heard oh, okay. it. I'm really well, I used to have to sing it. Dude. I used to have to sing it like three times a day. I'm sorry, but we gotta just do a little. Well, bit I can of hear you guys do it. I, that's okay. I'm just, gonna fuck up most of it, but I, I don't, well, let me do a good. little bit of it, cause. Uh, do you wanna play? That <laughs> Sean, are you alright? Come on, man. <laughs> yep. I had visions, I was in them, I was looking into the mirror to see a little bit clearer. Fingertips of memories, my can't get with the nerves of your body. 
When I feel a bit naughty, I run it up the flagpole and see who salutes, but no one ever does. I'm not sick, but I'm not well, and I'm so Told them all of this crazy. They caught up my legs now. I'm an amputee. Goddamn you. <laughs> I'm not sick, but I'm not well. And I'm so high. I'm in hell. I'm not sick, but I'm not well. And it's a my tongue it doesn't hurt it feels fine the trivial sublime i like to turn off time and kill my mind and kill my talking about the hot dog eating contest down at the used car lot man dude i i killed that song but i love it anyway it will never die um I, it reminded me when you said radio edit of when we had the bet like so that song has the word goddamn in it mm-hmm. And even though it was already hit on the radio, they were trying to make it go to more grown-up radio stations. And so they were like, well, we need, we need you to re-record it and not say goddamn. And we wouldn't do it. And so they were like, well, we don't know what to do then. I guess you don't want a career in show business. And we were like, nope. And then, and then we're like, well, what if we did, well, what if we did, like, what if you just spot censored it? Or like, because at that like time, there were, or like, there were a million examples of that. Yeah. On radio. Like, 
Green Day had a huge hit with that and whatever. There were tons of examples. But then we thought it would be funny if we tried to get John to cover it up rather than having it just be like a little spot deletion yeah. to have him use like cartoon noises or something <laughs> to make it, rather than trying to make it uh, disappear, to make it right. obvious. And um, I actually have... Oh, a, you have I have an example, so have an example of just his, uh, his uh, phone message about it. First saved message. Saved Tuesday, January 12th at 7.30 p.m. Hey, Jeff, it's John. I'm at my studio trying to figure out some comedic uh, way to censor this song. Here's one example. Wow. Completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's man. the best. So good. <laughs> so good. And you you know, know, I did that on the two inch, man. It wasn't even like. I know. Yeah, it was. Amazing. You know who actually stopped by the studio that day? I found out like a few years later. Oh, well, I found out a couple years ago. It was Colin Malloy from the Decemberists. What? When he was in his old band, Tarkio, they drove from Montana to Seattle and they were looking to like record somewhere and they happened to pass by the studio and they knocked on the door and you were like open the door and like, oh I happen to just be working on this I just picture you like wrapped in two inch tape no like, yeah yeah wow. did you work with the Decemberists no but I, I Kill Rockstar sent me a Decemberist thing and I I was in LA and I was doing a bunch of other stuff and I couldn't even imagine fitting it into the schedule and I passed it along to freaking Warner Brothers yeah and then um, look what happened. And then, yeah, something, I, something happened. But I, I missed, on, I, I missed the boat. One of their records. I, I like that band quite a bit, and I totally they're missed. Good. Yeah, they're really good. Well, uh, there you have it, everybody. John Goodmanson, Cocktoson, <laughs> and uh, and Sean Nelson. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks. See you later. Thanks tons. Well, there you have it, John Goodmanson, the incredible producer from Seattle, Washington, and Sean Nelson, Seattle's own Harvey Danger's frontman and also a, a great writer. And uh, that's just like not just writing songs, but writing stories and uh, editorials and all the other fun things that, that real writers do. And that, uh, that concludes this week's PatCast. Hope that you enjoyed it. Next week, uh, Jerry and I are going to be bringing you some Christmas songs since it is release week of Christmas in Tahoe. So look forward to that one. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. All right. Here you go, ladies and gentlemen. My outro. That was the podcast of this week. See ya.